Well, hey there, everyone. Dave DeBow back at you. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought about using social media for connecting with prospective investors? If you have, then you want to pay close attention to today's guest because he's doing a very good job of that. There are millions of real estate investors out there, and most are stuck with just a couple of properties. They want financial freedom, but their small portfolio ends up costing them more in time, effort, and money than it's worth. Getting out of the rat race seems harder than ever. This show will help you do more deals, better deals, and bigger deals. Finally, you'll be able to reach your income and lifestyle goals. How? By attracting and leveraging private money partners and their capital. Now get ready to raise more money because here's your host, Dave Dubow. So I want to welcome Isaiah Henry onto the call. Isaiah is someone that I've known for a little bit of time now because we've done some work together. And he is just one of these people that just takes massive action. And I always appreciate that. So Isaiah, good to see you again, my friend. Hey, thank you so much. I appreciate that uh, you having me on. Obviously, huge fan. You know, love the work that you've been doing with me and I, uh, you know, others in the community. So huge fan. Honored to be on the podcast. Oh, thank you very much. So Isaiah, for folks who aren't familiar with you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, especially when it comes to real estate investing? 100%. So high level. Uh, my name is Isaiah Henry, born and raised in uh, Pickering, Ontario, just outside of Toronto. Uh, uh, what I do, I was a big athletic guy for a while, thought I was going to be a jock, played rugby and uh, football at university at Wilfrid Laurier. Had a great that, that time qualifies there. you as a jock, my friend. I'll just, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll let you take that title. I give it to you. You're definitely a jock. Okay. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, I did get an education while I was there. Um, but then uh, um, from school, I thought I was going to be a big law enforcement guy. I had a couple law enforcement uh, jobs, even got on with the Toronto Police Service for a bit. I um, just found it wasn't for me. But uh, at the same time, I did have a love for real estate. And I was starting to get better at that, get learning a little bit more, finding some better deals. Uh, not only have I done um, some traditional buy and hold real estate, but I do a lot of burr investing in Timmins, Ontario, which is like eight hours north of where I live, completely long distance, hands off, managed. And it's just been a great time with myself and some of my investment partners growing up there. Oh, that is awesome. That is fantastic, Isaiah. So we were chatting a little bit before I pressed record and you were telling me that you got off to a good start with OPM by bringing on joint venture partners. But then since then, you've kind of switched gears a little bit. And now you're bringing on more of uh, debt partners instead of equity partners. So first of all, why don't you give us your definition of the difference between a an, an equity partner and a debt partner? Yeah, for sure. So in an equity partnership, uh, that partner, yourself and that partner, you both own part of the deal, like the actual equity. So if or you're actually on title on the deal, you're both on title some way. Exactly. If you're actually on title, you're on paper. So like if you do like a, a pie example, you are literally going to cut the pie, your partner gets one half of the pie and you get one half of the pie if it's 50-50. Now in terms of raising debt, your partner is not associated with the pie at all. You're paying them a fixed interest rate. You're eating the pie 100%, which could be good or bad, but your partner's getting a guaranteed return, whatever you guys de uh, decide on. And that's how they're involved in the investment. Now it's not better or worse, but I found this is a little bit easier and a little bit more scalable the way that I'm looking to grow the business. Okay. So why don't you walk us through what, because we, we help people raise capital. doesn't really matter whether it's going to be uh, an equity or, or debt type of a situation. But just for folks that are going, well, why would you choose that instead of the joint venture partners? And just importantly, why would your 
investors prefer that versus being a joint venture partner? Yeah, for sure. So some of the challenges that I was finding when I was raising uh, equity or trying to do equity partnerships, it was just the speed to get someone on title. They want to know a lot about the deal and rightly so, but to work quickly, especially in this real estate environment, it, that wasn't always the case. So I was finding sometimes I was getting bogged up with the lawyers or we couldn't close on deals fast enough because we were trying to put in people's names. And at the end of the day, our joint ventures, or at least mine were only about five-year deals. And if I'm thinking long-term 10, 15, 20 years, if my investor's out in 10 years, I either have to buy back in, bring another investor. It's just more logistics down the road. Now, when I started raising debt or thought about the debt way, I'm controlling that asset 100%. Uh, my investment partner's coming in and they're getting a fixed return on their money. So maybe they're looking for slightly different things. But when I offer that fixed return, whether it's secured or unsecured, whatever we decide, they know what they're getting paid regardless of what I do. If I do the best job on this project and it's a home run deal, boom, they're still getting their same return. But if I mess up or don't do as well, they're still getting the same return. So when I'm able to speak with investors, I think they like that as well, that like, hey, we're getting this ret return regardless of the market, regardless of the project. And we're investing more in Isaiah than the actual deal. And I found I had a little bit more comfort with that. Okay, very cool. So we talk a lot about focusing on your existing network of connections for raising capital. That's important for both joint ventures as well as the way you're doing it as well, especially because if if you're giving people unsecured uh, positions on, on these deals, then they definitely need to know you, like you, and trust you with their money. Otherwise, they wouldn't invest it. Um, what, what have you found has been the major difference in the conversation that you have with people about explaining about how the deal is going to work? And, and the second part of the question would be, when you are bringing on these debt partners, What's usually the kind of time frame you're looking at? Yeah, for sure. So going back to like, well, the, the first question, I think it's a different conversation that I was having. When I was looking for equity partners, it was more, I was looking for like long-term investors. And every time I was doing it, I was running into investors who were almost like me. Like they wanted to do long-term, they wanted to be involved and didn't really see it that way. And it was really hard to, to mesh, at least in my experience. Now, mm -hmm. when I started turning the conversation over to debt, I really worked it as a retirement supplement or a supplement to these incomes, right? You know, people have savings, the RSPs, TFSAs, Liras, or sometimes just straight cash, and they don't know exactly what to do with it. Maybe five years down the road, they want to do this. Five years, they want to do this. But right now, they don't know what to do, but they don't want it to sit there. So instead mm -hmm. of tying them off and actually putting them into a five-year deal uh, or something that they actually have to like, you know, be involved in, I said, hey, let's take your money that's not doing anything. Let's give you an actual return backed by one of the best assets in the world, which is real estate, and give them that constant return each and every month. They feel a little bit better. They're getting a little bit extra cash flow every bit uh, month to supplement you know, the rising costs of just living now. So they like that. And they're not directly tied to the, um, to the deal. You know, the, the market- They don't, they don't have to qualify for financing. They're not on title with the deal. They're just loaning you money. So so are they, what are the typical timeframes for these debt type deals that you're doing with folks? Great question. So we do uh, six, 12 or 18 months. Those are the only factors we do. Um, and then always three months early repayment with no penalties. So let's say we do a six month deal, a nice quick one. Um, anything after three months, I can repay your full investment without penalty. Um, I thought that was going to be good. Everyone would want it. Like, no, no, we want you to pay us the whole time, which is fine as well. Um, but that just helps because if we ever get into a situation, we're done with a project early, we can give them their money back and we're not in, uh, incurring extra interest. 
But honestly, from the investors that I've worked with, they pretty much just hold out and say, hey, man, when you're ready to go for the next one, we're ready to jump back in. And I feel yeah. we get more reoccurring investors with the debt model than the equity model. Well, for sure, because they want to recycle that money. I mean, if you're paying them 10, 12%, whatever it is, they're not going to, or eight or whatever it is, they're not seeing that in their RSPs. And just for our American listeners, we're talking about retirement savings. So registered type savings accounts, typically they're not seeing that with your mutual funds or what have you. So it's a matter of, okay, Isaiah, how quickly can you take my money again and keep it working for me? Right. So that's, yeah, 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 yeah. That makes sense. Okay. Well, I guess the next question would be is how long before you kind of hit the wall with qualifying for mortgages for these kind of deals? Because it sounds like now you're doing all the deals in your name. So if they're, are they multifamily properties? Are they single family properties? What, what kind of mortgages are you getting on these properties? Yeah. So I do like single to small multi, like that's just like my niche. Like, don't get me wrong. I'd love to be taking down 50 unit apartment buildings. I just don't think I'm there yet, which is okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I love single, small, multi. And unfortunately, yes, I am tapped out in my personal name, but that's not the worst thing. I do have a corporation set up and we still have access to commercial financing. So which is also great about this is commercial financing and corporation financing, much more, um, much easier to raise debt and qualify for mortgages that way. Because when you're raising debt and then try to qualify on the personal side, the banks don't like it. They're like, where's that money coming from? Are they on title? So many questions. But I found this way, it's a little bit easier. Yes, the financing terms are not uh, as favorable, but the speed uh, of which we can do deals is way faster. So the interest rates are higher. Yeah, the interest rates are, but not but not significantly. I thought it was going to be like, you know, 5% to 9%. It's like 5 to 7 So it is higher. But again, we run our numbers correctly. Um, we try to go make money on the buy. We do all the fundamentals of real estate. And again, if you, you know, you got to shave a couple points here or there. But if you get the deal done, that's the important thing, in my opinion. Get the deal done, get it done quickly. Very, very cool. Well, walk me through that then, Isaiah, because that's kind of interesting. The whole difference between, you know, financing in your company name versus financing in your personal name. How does that work if the company is buying a single family home to do a burr on? 100%. So let's say, so if we're going to do it like a burr, so we'll probably buy it, um, we'll buy it private, like 100% private. So um, what I usually like to do, we'll go to the bank, see if we can get um, like a private, not a bank, sorry. We'll go to my mortgage lender. We'll say, hey, I need to raise, uh, you know, private on this. And what's the best LTV they get? So let's say they give us 70% LTV on the property. Easy numbers, 100 grand. Right. So the properties are well, the let's properties, let's do realistic numbers because nothing's okay. hundred grand in your name. Yeah. <laughs> You're not um, so let's say we I'm buying a single family home, 200 grand, right? So I'm gonna go um, to my lender, say, hey, I want to buy this uh, private to get it off the ground, we've got to close quick. He says, Cool, we can give you 70% loan to value, which means they're gonna put a mortgage for 140, which means mm-hmm. I need to come up with 60. Now, if I have money to put in the deal, I always do because I, I love when I can put skin in the game. It really helps smooth over with the investors. So let's say I put 10 in. So now I'm out 50. So then I'm going to go to my investment pool, say, hey, I'm looking to raise $50,000 for this investment. Um, sometimes I show them the deal. Sometimes I don't. I just say what the, the capital is and what the interest rate will be. And then we raise that money. I use that money to qualify as the down payment and closing cost there. And then I have the private mortgage. We'll carry on. The right. Because the private, the private mortgage, they don't care like the banks do about where the money's coming from so much. It's it's just a matter of loan to value and how comfortable they are with that. Okay, good. So you get it, you get it going with private Monday, with private money. Then what? 
Yeah, so then we'll run the project. Again, I like to be as tight on my projects as I can. Sometimes I even put in the contracts, can we start the renovations like before we close? Like renovations that aren't gonna like make or break, but you know, get the ball rolling. So we yeah. start it as, as soon as we can. We're usually two to three months has been uh, my, like, you know, my bread and butter for the burr. Um, yeah. So we'll get it done. And then once the burr is done, we'll go right into the refinance. I try to go back to an A lender. They usually say no. Um, but then I usually go to a local credit union or a B lender and, and they've been quite favorable to us. In the, in the company name. Yes. In the company name. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I guess that, that makes a lot of sense because at that point they're looking at it like, okay, he's got the property. It's up and going and it's, it's not a refi per se, but they're, it's not like you buying and renovate the renovating the property from scratch with the A or B lender in that case. Yeah, like it's they for some reason, like both you and I and your listeners understand it's virtually the same thing. But in terms of the lenders and the bank guys, they love it. They're like, oh, he already owns it. It's already operating great. We didn't have to sit through the renovations for sure. We'll give you a mortgage on it. And uh, Bob's your uncle, you know, and then to get the mortgage back, we repay the lenders uh, that we needed to. Hopefully we made a profit. And again, we're not paying them the equity portion. We're paying them their exact investment plus their, mm -hmm. their due to interest. And then we're moving on. Right. So we did really well. Uh, you know, as a company, we make more money, but if we didn't do so well, not a big deal, but our investors are always going to get their money back. Again, they're getting a fixed return. Okay, cool. So let's walk through that because that's fascinating. So you've got a couple of different kinds of uh, debt investors. You've got secured and unsecured investors. Tell us what the difference is there. And if you're open to it, Isaiah, you know, we're not going to hold you to this, but at this time that we're recording this, which is mid-May, 2023, what kind of interest rates are people looking for with these kind of deals? Yeah, for sure. So uh, secured and unsecured. Um, yeah. So let's talk about secured. So if you looking to have uh, collateral against uh, your money. So if you're going to lend money, you want to have say, hey, if I get if Isaiah gets in trouble, what do I have my recourse on? So that's a secured or collateralized loan. So what we do, I've been fortunate enough to build up equity across my portfolio that there's equity there we can put a second mortgage or we can put a lien on another property for the amount that they're going to invest. So let's say we had a, an investor, they wanted to bring $50,000 in a secured position. We would secure those funds on an additional property, not the subject property. So not the property that we're actually working on, but a different property in the portfolio. So their mm -hmm. funds are secured. If there was ever uh, an opportunity that they wanted to have recourse or foreclose, that loan would be secured to an asset there and they could come after it that way. Again, I'm not a kind of guy who's going back on my investors, but that gives them a little bit more peace of mind. And mm -hmm. in a secured position, we're offering anywhere between seven and 8%, depending on how much uh, you're bringing to the table there. Now okay. in an unsecured position, um, we usually do that on promissory notes. Again, it's not like I'm just writing some chicken scratch and giving it to you. We do have our lawyer draw it up to make sure that it's all above board there, but it is an unsecured position. And as a result, you get a slightly higher interest rates. We're offering anywhere between nine and 12%, depending on how much uh, funds you're bringing there. We usually fall within the 10 range because people like to bring that between 50 to 75. But if you're a little bit lower, a little bit higher, we can change up the interest rates uh, there for you. Very, very cool. All right. So you're bringing that in. That's great. And then you're using the funds to down payments and renovation costs and all that kind of good stuff. Now, one of the things some people run into trouble with Isaiah is that especially if you're doing a burr or a flip or something like that, there are months and months that go by that there is zero revenue coming in from the property. It's just all outgo, outgo, outgo. Are you paying your investors on a monthly basis or a lump sum at the end of the deal? 
I found that for me, it's easier if I do it monthly. I've been, again, I, I feel I could go a little bit more aggressive and, you know, you do the balloon payments at the end, you can get more deals going that way. But just kind of where I am life-wise, I like to be able to manage my stuff. Like, you know, let's maybe one or two projects at the same time. So right now I pay everybody monthly. I like it all coming out on the same day. So I'm very focused in that way. Uh, the only downside with that is, is you have a lot of capital outlay during the project. Um, but again, at the end, you, you keep more because you've already paid your interest up, up that whole time. Right. And I, again, I'm only in projects for three to four months. Like I, I don't have any eight month projects that I like to do. So I'm not like holding it for like eight months or a year. So that's a little bit better there. I'm also in Timmins, which is slightly lower price point, which again, slightly lower in, uh, interest amounts there. Very cool. All right. Well, thanks very much for walking us through that and your, your reasoning for that. It, it makes a lot of sense. And, and obviously I'm thinking, you know, especially for those unsecured promissory notes, that's the kind of stuff that you're doing with folks that are pretty tight, near and dear to you, close family, friends, family members, business associates, that sort of thing. You have to develop the relationship before people are, are willing to provide unsecured funds. That's for sure. I also like the fact that you're not biting off more than you can chew. You're doing one or two deals at a time. You're, you're not trying to run five different deals all at the same time at this, at this point in your, your career. Yeah. I think eventually I'd like to get it to a point where this is what we're doing full time, you know, have the fix and flips going uh, as well as the birds, um, you know, kind of stacking the portfolio as we go. Um, but again, we just take one step at a time, one foot in front of the other, you know, as we continue to build and build in a safe way. Cause that's another thing I feel my accountant always says it's that one extra deal you do that you didn't have to, or you weren't prepared for. That's really going to sink you. So again, we just try to keep, keep uh, calculated steps one at a time and keep moving forward. Very cool. So the people that are investing with you in the in the debt, what would you say the split is between people investing kind of cash on hand or, you know, versus mutual fund investments or self-directed RSPs, self-directed retirement funds? Yeah, for sure. I would say like 80-20 to cash on hand. And I don't think that's true of everyone. I think because of my age, my demographic and kind of how I'm doing because I, I raise a lot of money from social media. Mm -hmm. um, those people, I think it's more cash on hand. Maybe they're not as savvy or understand that, or maybe I've been hit it as well as well. Because also like, when you're doing the TFSA RSP, like those have to be in a secured position. And you know, I'm always yeah. trying to come after uh, unsecured first. Um, but yeah, for me, definitely 80, 20. And my amounts aren't that large too. Like I'm only like my minimum I'll take is 50. Um, so if you can get a lot of people who are likely to have 50 in cash rather than, you know, hundred or 200, that's usually in their RSP. That makes a lot of sense. Plus the, the self-directed stuff, those people want to keep their money parked long-term and not be churning right. it over, right, trying to figure out what to do with it over and yeah, over exactly. and over again. Yeah. Interesting. You might, uh, you know, once you start kicking this up into gear, even more Isaiah, you might want to start looking at a fund uh, because that way you could get people with their retirement savings, putting it into the fund and just kind of parking it there. Yeah. And then you, you don't have to be going back to the well, every time you got a deal, you just go to the fund and put the money in and out based on that. hundred percent. And it's funny, you're the second person who, who's brought that up lately. My, I guess my only apprehension is like the deal flow right now. Like I think yeah. I have enough to kind of service what I'm doing, but you know, once you get a fund and you're in there, you know, if the deal flow goes dry, like now you have a lot of outlay that you're doing there. Definitely something in the works and definitely something that could be done, but I like what you're thinking. Yeah, no, you definitely need to have that deal flow going, probably getting into bigger deals, 
Um, and you know, last person I was talking to that's putting together a fund, it ain't cheap. It, it's like a hundred grand just to get this whole thing set up and, you know, running. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's, a it's an outlay there. Okay. Now speaking of social media, mm-hmm. that is something that you're doing very, very well. So talk to us a little bit about how Isaiah Henry uses social media for creating those investor relationships and then how you get them off of social media and, and into doing business with you. hundred percent. Um, so I've been very fortunate. I, I've never been camera shy. Like I loved it. Even that, like I had, uh, when I was working for Metrolinx, they did like commercials with some of the officers and I got to be in some of well, those. I loved when you're it. so damn good looking like you and I are. Exactly. <laughs> See, Dave, you get it. You just get it. Um, but yeah, so like I've had no problem with it and I'm not, again, I don't like to, you know, negative self-talk, but my strengths don't lie in the written word. Like for me, like, you know, writing an essay, writing an email newsletter, that was very difficult. And I had a mentor of mine who's like, you got to send out that weekly newsletter. It's like, man, this is very hard for me, but I could get in front of the camera, blow up on the mic, do whatever, like no problem. So I said, oh, why don't I give that a try? I was doing that. I put together a little like yeah, media team to help like with the editing, getting everything out there. And before you know it, I was pumping out content like nobody's business. And I was having a lot of fun doing it. And I think that's the biggest thing. Like I was enjoying it. It wasn't hard. I talked to other investors or other individuals like, oh, it's so hard for me to come up with ideas and put content. I'm like, I, if you looked at my notes on my phone, I have content for the next four years we could go through. Like, I just have oh, so nice. much and I, and I loved it as well. Um, but I think the one thing that individuals might not see, like once the content's out there, that's great. And everyone's like, well, how many views, like how many like likes and shares? Don't look at all that. That means absolutely nothing. In my opinion, it all goes down in the DMs. So once you're on there, you're talking to people, it's can you get those people into your DMs and then fall, uh, you know, foster a conversation, whether that's a phone call, or you're just hitting back and forth. Because the people who want to do business with you, they're looking like they're watching. They may not want to do business today or tomorrow. They may, might want to do it in, uh, you know, six or eight months. But it's just that constant communication, you know, putting yourself out there. And, you know, when they're ready to, to be there, just be ready to receive. And I feel like when you're like, really picky and say, hey, do you want to invest? Hey, do you want to invest? You're turning people off. It's just, it's gross. Like it smells bad. So right. that's not a way to do it. But um, even working with you and working with other individuals, just putting yourself out there, keep doing cool stuff, like let people know what you're doing. And when they're ready to, uh, to talk, make sure you have every avenue open that they can reach out. And when they do just be ready to receive. Okay. Well, let's, let's unwrap that a little bit more there, Isaiah, because I kind of get it, but somebody who's not doing stuff in, in social media yet, or is just doing it for their own personal uses kind of thing. And, and not along, not along these lines might not quite understand that. So walk us through what does social media look like for you? Where, where are you focusing most of your time? And then how are you dispersing that content in other places? For sure. So, you know, what? I'll give you two things, Dave, I'll give you what I'm doing now. And then if you won't mind, I'll give you the, you know, maybe a couple of tips for investors who, who are looking to get some stuff out there. Yeah. So for me, big YouTube believer, big, big YouTube believer. One of my best friends is on YouTube, not in the real estate niche, um, but he kind of put me on. He's like, man, you got to get on this platform. Look what it can do. His business blew up. He ended up quitting his job and he's full-time YouTube. I'm like, wow, this is something special there. But the thing I like about YouTube is you can create a video, two to five minutes. I think that's all you need, especially as an investor. Take the time, write the script, put all your ideas, jokes, whatever you need into there and make that video, put it out there. It'll live on YouTube forever. So don't worry about that. Don't worry if it doesn't go viral on day one, leave it out there and people will know. But what you can also do now is cut that video up and you can put it into short form content, put it on your Instagram, your TikTok. 
I've even seen people like take the transcript from it, make little tweets, they put the tweets out or they put them in little quote bubbles and put them on there. So the, the idea from one YouTube video up here, you can create a funnel of so much content. I did the, the math, one YouTube video, five minutes, 96 pieces of content I was able to get out of it. Wow, that's, yeah. that's incredible. Crazy. 96 pieces of content on different platforms. Yeah, sometimes. different platforms. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, like yeah, sometimes yeah. multi-purpose, right? You know, so, but I'm just like, and you don't have to do 96 like that. I, I only did that as an experiment to show like how much you could do. But even if you do one YouTube video, it turns into a couple shorts and a couple tweets, or maybe you make that your newsletter, boom, you're good to go, right? You do one or two a month and, and, and before you know it, you're the guru going around doing your stuff. So I think it's really that, nice to have. That's cool. Now, I think some people look at the whole YouTube thing and think, well, geez, if I do that, I've got to go out and I've got to get, how do I go out and get thousands and thousands of, of people subscribing to my YouTube channel? How do, how do I compete against Mr. Beast and all these people with millions of, of followers and all that kind of stuff? And, you know, if I do a video, I expect it's, it's got to get thousands of views for anything to happen. So walk us through what your thoughts are about that. And then if you don't mind sharing, Isaiah, you know, how has, has doing this actually turned into investors for you? 100%. Um, so I would encourage anyone who, who's going on, it's like looking at the likes and everything, oh, I need to be Mr. Beast. I would challenge them to be like, if every one of those investors gave you a dollar, would you actually have enough deal flow to deal with it? Do you actually have the resources to deal with it? If every one of them called you today, do you have the resources to deal with it? Likely no. The idea <laughs> definitely here, not. Yeah, definitely not. The idea here is you want to build fans. Like I want those people, anytime I put something out, they like, they comment, they share. Even if that's 10 people, if you have 10 people who are down to do business with you at 50 grand a pop, you're done. Like it's 500, that's $500,000. You're good. Like you're, that's all you need. And mm -hmm. I feel like the, the big idea is like, oh, I need all these. I need to be viral. I'm like, I, I don't believe so. Like, unless you're selling like a coaching program or you're trying to sell a course, you're trying to sell something to them. That's a whole different like marketing game. But if you're trying to, you know, get people to like, know, trust and invest. It's a slightly different game. You want real, true fans. And that doesn't happen at the tens of hundreds of thousands. Mm -hmm. That happens a little bit more intimately. And I found it the same way. I'm proud to say we've raised $750,000 in you know the last year and a half, strictly off social media, just because you know we're taking our time to interact with the people. Um, we're taking the time to you know go back, like their videos. Every person who comments or likes my video, they, they're getting a DM and we're having a conversation, whether they like it or not. Nothing pushy or anything. But I feel it's those things that people aren't doing. They just, well, I put the content out. Now what? I'm like, no, no. It's like, you wouldn't just walk into a room and say hi and then leave. You would go in, you'd shake hands. You'd say, hey, what's going on in your life? Hey, what's going on with you? And that's how relationships are born. So just because it's online social media, like doesn't mean you have to like stop learning how to be a human. It's just behind a screen. That's the only difference. All right. That's some very good words of wisdom there, Isaiah. So let me walk it through it just to make sure I understand because I've I've recently started a, a YouTube channel myself. It's a hell of a lot of work, that's yeah. for sure. And and the the methodology I'm following involves uh daily videos Monday through Friday. So 20 videos a month kind of thing. So coming up with that content once a month and all that kind of stuff. Uh and it's definitely not a quick fix kind of a a process. It's, it's a long-term commitment. I'm sure you didn't see traction or maybe you did, maybe you saw traction day one from your, your first videos, but so walk me through this. You create a video on YouTube, mm -hmm. two to five minutes long. 
you've got that. You've got your, I took a look at your channel. You got nice thumbs created there, thumbnails of, of your videos and you put it out there. And um, I mean, you're, you're doing well. You've got like just under 2000 subscribers to your YouTube channel. That doesn't mean they all see your video. That doesn't mean they're the only ones that see your videos. Lots of people can see the video without being a subscriber. That's for sure. So what does the DM situation look like there? Are, are, how, do, how do you transition from YouTube, which isn't, most people aren't too accustomed to communicating through YouTube yeah. to direct messages? So um, in YouTube, you're not, no, a lot of people won't direct message you. So a couple of things that I do on YouTube. So one, I have my lead magnet, like I have my book, The Rookie Real Estate Investor. So that's there. Once they put their email down and they grab the book, now we can, you know, email market to them um, and, you know, have conversations that way. Second thing, if they comment, I always respond to their comment in some sort of thoughtful way. But then I do a second comment. Hey, check me out on Instagram to see what I'm doing on a daily basis. Once they're on Instagram, that's a community now that you've built and you can kind of control the messaging there. So I always try, if you can get them to bounce between two platforms, whether it's YouTube to TikTok, YouTube to Instagram. Instagram to Twitter, if they're in, in uh, that, or even your newsletter, whatever you want to do. Once they jump to another platform, you've captured either their email or some sort of profile. And then you're able to get into the DMs that way, because if they don't like you stop marketing to them, like if they don't really right. like what you're doing, like, I feel like a lot of people going after people they don't like, like, wait till they show some interest in you. And when they do, you know, just service that interest, but don't knock on everyone's door because again, not everyone's going to like, know and trust you. But once you find those guys, they start to do it. They start to talk, you know, and then, then you get be a human and start connecting with them. Awesome, Isaiah. This is fantastic advice. Thank you very much, my friend. And congratulations on all that you're, you've done and, and the massive action you've taken. Speaking of connections, if people want to connect with you, what's the number one place you would send them? I'm going to guess. Yeah, definitely check out. Yeah, no, I know. Honestly, I'll, I'll check out my Instagram first. Like you always like YouTube, you can always go back to, you can watch that while you're having a shower or you're brushing your teeth. Uh, but again, if you, if you want a quick hit of Isaiah, go check me out on Instagram. It's at it's Mr. Henry, I T S Mr. Henry. Uh, that's where you'll see me day to day posting crazy stories. You'll get a little bit of the YouTube stuff in there. Um, you can also find uh, any of the resources we have there as well. Fantastic Isaiah. Well, thank you very much. It's been a lot of fun, my friend. Awesome, man. Thank you so much, man. It's been a pleasure. All right, everybody, take care. We'll talk to you on the next episode. This episode is brought to you by moneypartnerformula.com. Our Money Partner Formula service allows you to raise all the private capital you need to do all the deals you want while we handle the hard stuff. We offer reliable and affordable done-for-you marketing services that get you investor meetings booked without all the work. So go ahead and check out the website right now. And then feel free to schedule a call with me and let's take your portfolio to the next level. Again, that's moneypartnerformula.com. Watch investor meetings pop up in your calendar. We handle the rest.